Hi everyone, I'm Luke Marzano, and you're listening to the Church Relevance Podcast. This is a weekly discussion series with ministry leaders whose stories offer valuable advice and guidance. We engage in vital dialogue, encourage Christian leaders who might be battling burnout, navigating conflict, or struggling to find a balance. Our mission is to ignite passion, create community, and inspire new ministry, one conversation at a time. Today, we sit down with Steve Vincent, author of When Faith Lights the Way, the quest to restore electricity to a war-ravaged African hospital, and we discuss his journey so far, as well as how God brings us through our life so we can follow him and what he has called us to do. Welcome to the Church Relevance Podcast. I'm Luke Marzano, and today I'm joined by co-host Alex Varden. Alex, how's it going? Doing well. Uh, just super excited to be here with you. Yeah, and we're excited too. Today we're sitting down with author Steve Vincent. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's certainly my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. And we're excited to get to know you more. And to start off with, uh, for the listeners at home, uh, let us know a little bit about your official title and role and where you're located. Well, I am the founder of a uh, nonprofit called Power from the Sun. That's S-O-N. My official title would be president. Uh, I'm somewhat affectionately known by the people that I work with as the cat herder. Uh, (laughs) So many of these people have such strong personalities and experience. Uh, Trying to get them to all move in one direction sometimes is like herding cats. But, uh, hey, it's been fun. I love the people I work with. Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm located in Bryan, Texas, which is uh, adjacent to College Station, Texas, which is the home of Texas A&M University. Aggie land. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) All right. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do at Power from the Sun and how long you've been serving with that ministry? Sure. Be glad to. Uh, We try to provide electricity uh, to schools, orphanages, hospitals, uh, in the areas where people need uh, help the most. Uh, Areas like Liberia, Sierra Leone, Honduras, uh, and we've been doing this for about 10 years. Awesome. Wow. And with that kind of uh, all that put together, like what, what, let us know a little more about what brought you uh, to where you are and what you're doing today. Sure, be glad to. Um, I've attended church most of my life. Uh, as a child, I participated in the choirs. Uh, I did some Uh, local mission trips. After marriage, uh, we got involved in First United Methodist Church in Arlington. I was actually part of the uh, camera crew recording Sunday services. And then uh, my wife encouraged, cajoled, uh, prodded me to attend a mission trip that our church uh, was going to undertake. Uh, We were going to build a church in Haiti. Uh, this was uh, in the early 80s. Uh, I was really not excited about going, uh, but somehow I think she and my pastor colluded to get me to go. And basically from that, uh, I was surprised at what I found in Haiti and just really began to have a, uh, an eye for missions, even though I really didn't do uh, any more mission trips overseas between Haiti and uh, when we started this charity, uh, Power from the Sun. 
Great. And uh, what, what kind of piqued your interest uh, to get into the electric utility industry in the first place? Well, as strange as it seems, uh, when I entered college, I started as a microbiologist. I was working in the summers uh, for a company called Watson Electric, and they supplied the equipment that the electric utilities used to build their lines. Uh, boy, just some of my experiences in microbiology led me to believe this was not the type of uh, career that fit my personality. Uh, but working at Watson Electric in the summer, I just really was fascinated by how all the parts and pieces fit together to, uh, to build these electric lines. And I was very impressed when there would be storms, either ice storms or, or uh, outages in the middle of the night where these linemen would get out of bed and, and work sometimes 18, 24 hours a day. Uh, I just really admired these people and decided this was the type of, of work I wanted to do, the, to do the rest of my life. And so from there, I changed to engineering at uh, Texas A&M and uh, took a job uh, with a company uh, called Alice Chalmers. And you may have heard of them for their tractors, but way back in the day when I graduated from college, they were one of the largest electrical manufacturers in the country. Uh, they were actually uh, located uh, in Wisconsin or in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I spent some of my time uh, at one of the factories. I had not worked there very long when I got the opportunity to work for a company called Priester Supply back in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I had always admired uh, their honesty and their hard work. I had known these people for many years, and I was just so fortunate to be able to uh, change to Priester Supply. It was very small at the time. Uh, we had about four salespeople. Uh, we covered the North Texas area and I was able to become a principal and we grew our business uh, from this small beginning to where we were operating in 13 states with 16 different uh, offices and warehouses. <laughs> wow. So looking, I mean, looking back on it, it's, it's easy to see how, you know, your career and your education really fits together with what you guys do at Power From The Sun. But, you know, while you're going to school, while you're beginning work in the, you know, electrical, electrical industry, like, was there ever really a thought that maybe, you know, I can one day use this to, to serve the church and to do mission work? No, there really was not. I spent... Uh, my early years uh, of marriage and family life, working in the local church at, at various uh, positions uh, at First United Methodist Church in Arlington. Uh, but I really didn't understand the calling to missions that I had uh, until we were ready to sell our company. Uh, I went to work for the new company and stayed about two years to make sure the transition was smooth. But I felt like I had really been blessed financially. Uh, I'd given, gotten, uh, I had acquired a lot of knowledge uh, of how electric systems worked and went together. And so I decided, how can I give back at that time? And so I had an association with an Australian engineer 
uh, and was fortunate to meet him in China to find out about some solar lights and panels that we could light individual homes. So this became my first idea was to help people in Africa and others uh, light their homes with solar light. I just love, I even went circling back, you, you worked with someone, an Australian engineer, and you met where in China? Yes, we did. Yeah. And <laughs> on top of that, it was, it was a very uh, uh, unique trip. We were on a trip that uh, President George H.W. Bush and Barbara were lecturing. It was a 21-day trip through China, uh, Japan, Korea, and they were lecturing on how they had established relationships with uh, China. Uh, fabulous trip, and I had the, the opportunity to meet President Bush in a situation where we were pulling out of one of the harbors and my wife and I were on the rail, and we noticed this tall figure move in between us. Uh, we backed up and got up against one of the bulkheads and thought, oh my gosh, uh, we can't speak to him. There are no <laughs> secret service people. Uh, it was just a, a little frightening for us. And then we began to discuss, you know, he's on this trip to meet people too. He, he probably would like to know who we are. So I, I did walk over to him and stuck out my hand and said, uh, President Bush, thank you so much for what you do for Texas A&M University. And he grabbed my hand and said, well, thank you. Do you work there? And I said, no, sir. Uh, I'm, uh, alone. I'm a former student. And he looked at my wife and said, uh, how about you? And she said, no, I went to that other school in Austin. <laughs> and he looked at her and he said, well, that's okay. That's where my granddaughters go. And then he turned oh. back to me and pulled me really close and said, you know what? I'm really concerned about our basketball team. <laughs> Those guys should be doing better than what they are doing. And that instance formed my uh, thought process that it, we're all the same, that yeah. when you have a good idea, there's no one that's unapproachable or at too high a level that they shouldn't be approached with a good idea. And that's helped me tremendously with power from the sun to be able to I've met with uh, President Sirleaf of Liberia at times. I've worked with her chief of staff. Uh, everybody in this world is equal, and, and, and we should never hesitate if we're doing the right thing to approach anyone for, for help and assistance. Absolutely, and that's, that's such a good takeaway and, and a good reminder, especially with the whole reason that you were meeting in China in the first place, like knowing why we're doing what we're doing and then having the confidence and uh, the, the approach approachness, uh, not that word, the confidence and the ability to actually pursue it uh, is, a, is, is amazing and a great reminder. So thank you. Uh, and kind of on that, that's kind of an excited, exciting boost while, while you're with all that. Uh, what, what kind of took you to, to Africa to restore electricity and, and how did you kind of begin that process and journey? Well, and I came back all excited and fired up about I was going to light individual villages. And so I was able to work through my pastor, through a district superintendent. And as strange as it seems, the uh, general conference for the United Methodist Church 
a worldwide conference that happens every four years was going to be in Fort Worth, Texas. And so I was able to arrange a lunch with the uh, director of the United Methodist Committee on Relief, Sam Dixon. Hmm. Um, I had several other people at the lunch with us. And in this lunch, I proposed that we would uh, light these villages and went through all the logistics of how we would do this. And uh, Sam leaned back and said, well, you know, we'd be glad to support you, but could you do something for me first? Sure, what could I do? And he said, well, we have this hospital in Liberia, in Ganta, that's been really decimated by 14 years of civil war. Uh, would you restore electricity to that hospital? And I asked a few questions and probably uh, not thinking through the whole process. I agreed immediately. Sure, I could do that. Um, I really didn't understand at the time uh, that I had agreed that this was a hospital that served 24,000 patients a year. Wow. Uh, it was on a campus. The mission and the hospital were on a campus uh, that is equivalent to 781 football fields. Oh, <laughs> wow. And it was 52 buildings. Um, so I thought, well, that's not a problem uh, for some reason. Um, I went <laughs> online and I looked and I read about a gentleman that was trying to build a house in Liberia. And he discussed that you can't buy parts locally because the conduit, it may say inch and a half conduit, but it may be a 16th of an inch less. Uh, the motor might say General Electric, but it might, if you look closely, actually say Gen Real Electric. <laughs> uh, they were all seconds. And so we thought, well, that's not a problem. We will just uh, buy all the material here in the United States and ship it over there, having never shipped anything internationally before. <laughs> um, from there, how do you make a design? And it just so happened that the engineer uh, that we met in China, the Australian engineer, had a partner that was going to go to Africa. So we had him uh, spend a week for us and take a wheel and measure all the distances to all the buildings and write down all the, the ways they use electricity. And from there, we designed all the, the system, bought all the material, and figured out how to ship things internationally to Liberia uh, without ever having been there. Wow. And what year was this again? This was in 2009. Okay. And I mean, obviously, this is a, a massive project in, in scope and not something that you could you know, do on your own. So, I mean, how did you go about building a team for this? What were you looking for in team members? Um, because I mean, it sounds like a massive undertaking. Well, it really is. Uh, and we thought we could do this in three weeks. <laughs> so there were several things we started with. Um, I needed an engineer. I had worked with numerous engineers, uh, in my years working with Priester Supply Company, uh, Frank Daniel was one that I thought 
really had a, a good eye for unusual projects. Uh, he had been one of the key developers of the electric design for AT&T Stadium and for Globe Life Park where the Rangers play baseball. And so he had been a church friend, recruited him. Uh, I had several really uh, fine people, Ron Seidel that had been a vice president of engineering for generation at TXU. Uh, but then I began to think I have some experience in construction, but I really need a pro. Could not come up with a name. And then I was sitting in church. Uh, I confess I was not paying attention to the sermon. <laughs> and this name came to mind, Terry Thornhill. Um, I had worked with Terry for probably 15 years uh, teaching a school at Texas A&M called Nuts, the National Underground Training School. And we would teach linemen how to install underground electric systems. And Terry was such a good friend and such a pro, but we had both moved on to other things and hadn't been in contact in, in probably four or five years. I left church, took out my phone, called him and said, Terry, I need to build a uh, electric system for a hospital in Africa. Uh, are you in? And Terry's response was, when do we leave? <laughs> and so from this, he brought in some of the line crew that he knew. Uh, we took the pastor's son. Uh, we took an accountant. Uh, there were nine of us in all. And most of us had never left Texas, I being the exception, and Terry also an exception because he had been sent to Vietnam. Uh, it was a really experienced crew in electricity, but certainly not in doing overseas mission work. So what, what was the response from the locals and your interaction with them like, especially, um, you know, mentioning that a lot of your team had never been over and experienced anything like that. So how did how do they interact with, with the locals there? Well, uh, everybody really uh, did well with the change. Uh, one of the things we had not experienced before going overseas were bucket showers. What uh, the norm is for showering in these uh, type of areas is they do have some water tanks that they pump water into. And then during the day, they pump water into buckets for use to shower and also to flush toilets. The main problem with this water was the lines had been laid several years ago. They had not been maintained and so there were a lot of breaks in the lines. So you could walk these lines and you would see water shooting out into the adjacent dirt. Uh, that became mud and then when they shut the uh, the pumps off, all this muddy water seeped back into the pipes. Mm. So the buckets were basically just cloudy, dirty water. But the way you would uh, take a shower is take a smaller bucket, dip it in that bigger tub and pour it over your head and uh, hope for the best. <laughs> uh, everyone did fine with that. Uh, the only instance uh, that was a little bit frightening, this was about uh, three years after the Civil War in Liberia had ended, uh, there were numerous checkpoints that we had to pass through, either through the Liberian Army or the UN peacekeepers that were stationed there. 
And one of the things we were told is do not uh, photograph the Liberian art. Well, Frank Daniel, uh, our engineer, felt like that I don't see any problem in this. So he began to turn on his video and he really aggravated uh, the inspection soldier that came over to see us. Uh, had we not had the United Methodist symbol on the side of our door and on our license plates, we probably would have been detained and he probably would have been thrown into jail. Mm. But they, uh, they overlooked it and let us pass. So we did really well uh, in a lot of instances. The biggest issue we ran into at first were there were two separate electric departments. Uh, one was the uh, hospital electric department and one was the uh, mission side. And our design was to combine them both and uh, to serve both systems from a large generator that was there. But they had their own hierarchy. Uh, they didn't talk to each other. If they caught one of the others on their property, they would normally steal their tools. Um, they really didn't get along. And here came these Americans over here. They're going to change everything and put it into one department. So, you know, it, it took some time working with them uh, before they accepted us. Uh, we worked together building the system. We could not have done it without them. Uh, everything was underground, so we had to have ditches and trenches. Uh, but in working together, they learned that they could get along, they could be friendly, they could actually be friends. And so by the time we left, we were just one band of brothers. That's awesome. And uh, I mean, just hearing about, you know, two groups of people who were, I mean, somewhat rivals, and then you guys are over there doing this work um, on behalf of the church, doing this mission work, and it you know, bringing everybody together. I think that's an awesome picture. And, and kind of, I'm going to piggyback off that, Alex. Um, like with that level, uh, what are some ways that you saw, even looking back now and comparisons that you saw between your time in the church and your time on your project in Africa, which actually, if you don't mind, how long did the project end up taking when you were anticipating three weeks? Three weeks. Okay, nice. Met the deadline. (laughs) (laughs) We could not have done it as I said, without the help of the local people, but probably the, the most uh, unexplainable event that occurred was we had no way to unload this transformer out of the back of a container that was sitting on a trailer, uh, and the trailer was four and a half foot tall. We had thought about different ways to do this. Uh, we had finally come up with an idea of moving it like the Egyptian would, Egyptians would have moved the stones with some some pipes and rolling it. But you can imagine over that distance, if it's 781 football fields, it would be just an impossible task. And so um, we noticed some uh, UN peacekeepers driving a, a water tank vehicle to one of the lakes on the mission site and wondered if they might have some equipment to help. We stopped the crew and there was one that did speak English. They were from Bangladesh. Uh, He said, well, you'll have to talk to our superiors. So we got a phone call and one of the majors from the group, Major Toheed, showed up. Uh, 
his crew set up a camp for us to meet. We explained what we were doing and he listened politely and said, well, I don't have the authority to do this. Uh, you'll have to talk to our commanding officer. Okay. So we were invited to go to the Bangladesh compound uh, and ushered into what you might call a double wide trailer that was air conditioned, which was most appreciated. Uh, inside were probably 10 or 15 uh, majors from Bangladesh. Uh, they were all watching the World Cup soccer game. And we were invited first uh, for refreshments. Uh, second, we were invited uh, for dessert and then for a meal. I sat with the Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Huda, and we discussed uh, where you came from, how, how you ended up here, got to know each other. And finally he looked at me and he said, what are you trying to do here? And I explained that this hospital serves 24,000 patients a year. Whenever a storm comes through, all the lines are torn off the trees that were the poles. And basically the surgeons finish operating with flashlights in their mouth that the operating rooms had no air conditioning and in the summer with it being 95 degrees and in the winter it being as low as 80 degrees uh, people could die in the operating room just from heat problems so you would open the windows which would of course let in contamination one of the other sad situations was that most modern anesthesia machines wouldn't work without proper electricity they count the number of cycles in the electricity to get their timing. And so the only thing that could be used were when visiting missionaries came by and brought uh, anesthesia machines that veterinarians use, uh, then they had anesthesia machines. Otherwise, these 24,000 patients a year had no access to modern medicine. So he considered that and he said, well, where did the equipment come from? And I explained that some was donated and some we bought ourselves. He said, well, these men over here, who's paying them? He was referring to our volunteer crew. And I explained to him that they are all volunteers. Uh, at that point, he stood up and clinked his glass. And everyone around the U-shaped tables listened. He stood up and said, gentlemen, you will do absolutely anything you can to help these people complete your project as long as it does not interfere with your normal duties. We, we were just blown away. Uh, we walked outside and they had forklifts. They had uh, very huge shovels uh, to dig the trenches for us to help complete this. Uh, we just couldn't believe it. And then the next day, uh, Major uh, Toheed came and brought me a letter and said, here's a letter that uh, uh, Colonel Huda is sending to the command in Liberia about us working on the project. And I read through it and it struck me there was nothing in there about who was in charge. And so I wrote a sentence about power from the sun as designed, procured, and will oversee the construction of this project. Major left, came back in an hour, and my sentence was scratched through. And in a handwritten note under it was from the colonel. It said, uh, 
Bangor 13, which was their unit, will take orders from Power from the Sun. <laughs> wow. And so we worked together. Uh, incidentally, uh, Bangladesh is a, a very uh, Muslim-oriented country. Uh, they do have a secular government. Uh, they actually have the most UN peacekeepers of any country uh, in the world. Uh, just very fine people. We found their uh, officers very well educated, uh, very genteel and proper. Uh, they were so proper that at uh, 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, uh, there would be a ragtop truck pull up and there would be two soldiers jump out with machine guns, lower the tailgate, pull out a plastic table and chairs. They'd go find me and I would have tea with their officers every day. Wow. That <laughs> like there needs, I know you wrote a book about this, that I could picture a full movie on this. Just <laughs> the idea of like, when I first would have seen that they crossed out what you had written in, I would have been like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. But they even upped your one. <laughs> They're like, oh, no. my, my heart sank, and I just couldn't <laughs> believe to be given that honor. Uh, yeah, right. You know, no experience. It was just they committed themselves to us. Uh, if you don't mind, Steve, if you can give us kind of some comparisons that you've seen looking back now between what you experienced in the church and experienced with now your band of brothers. I think there's so many similar similarities of how you guys got things accomplished that we, we see in the church that we wish we could see more of in the church. Uh, any takeaways for you in that? Yes. Um, one of the difficult things is for people to see a vision. Um, I know this happened in our case when we were dealing with the electric system. These people had never experienced anything like a modern underground electric system. Uh, especially putting it into one system. They saw how it affected them and working with them and not forcing them to accept our vision. Uh, that really made it work because they worked through it with us and learned uh, what the vision was. I see this uh, a lot in churches today where the church has a great vision, but, but you see the problems more than you see the vision. Yeah. And even in, in the case of everything you experienced, like the, how those problems were addressed um, out of nowhere, or what I would say is a plot twist that helped resolve those problems for you to still get the goal done. It's amazing. Well, absolutely. And, and one reason I wrote this book, I may be jumping ahead here, but no, go for it. it seems very appropriate. One reason I wrote this book, I kept telling the story and people would come to me and say, write a book, write a book about your experiences. And the reason I decided to write this book, first book ever uh, that I have written, <laughs> was because you took nine people, ordinary people from Texas, that many had not been outside of Texas. You put them in a situation that it was impossible to complete the job, but the job got completed. And we just went to Honduras and electrified uh, an orphanage in two and a half days. We put a container on the ground. We adapted that so it would become the generator facility. We ran wires to their orphanage. They had not had electricity in Honduras in three years. 
that means no fans, no lights, and there are probably at least 50 to 75 uh, children in that area. The state they live in is just, uh, you know, unfathom unfathomable to most Americans. Um, and they can't fathom what we do. But if you think about it, uh, you can feed people, you can heal them, you can educate them. But if you don't have electricity, it's very difficult to improve your standard of living. And so I wrote this book to explain to people that you have to look at, at Peter's situation when he was called by Jesus to walk on the water. As long as he focused on what Jesus was calling him to do, he didn't have any problems. It's when he began to think of other things and began to think of the doubts that he began to have the problems. And so that's what I'd like to get across from this book is that probably most of us have this voice, this vision inside of us that we tend to push to the back and ignore and say, you know, I, I can't do this. That, that's just too strange for me. But if you follow that voice and vision, it's amazing what can be accomplished. Uh, yeah, I love that. And uh, I mean, I love the example that you use with Peter there that so many times in life, we, we just get caught up in looking at the circumstances and the noise that's going on around us. And we forget the, the God that we serve and the spirit that's working within us and the power that we have in that. And so keeping our eyes focused on, on those things and the vision and the calling that God has laid on our heart, um, Paying more attention to that than the outside noise is huge. And I mean, I think that's, you know, I serve in, I serve in a church as well. And that's one of the things that I try to, um, you know, impart to the, the college students that I work with and in, in the ministry that I serve in is that pay more attention to the God that you serve and his word than the outside noise and the circumstances in your situation. Because there's always something going on. There's always something happening and they could, they could scare us and they can bring upon doubt. So I love hearing that, that testimony from you. Well, and, and what we would like to do and what our plan, this trip to Honduras, uh, we took an individual from the Borlaug Institute at Texas A&M, and uh, Borlaug was a Nobel Prize winner for developing a grain, uh, rice grain that saved probably two million lives in India. Uh, this institute is has its hands uh, throughout the world in, in helping populations to be able to grow uh, sustainable food sources for themselves. I also took uh, an individual from the Bush School, uh, and the Bush School is, is training the future leaders of today uh, to go into government, to go into private enterprise, to go into nonprofit organizations. Uh, they're going to have access to, to people uh, throughout the world I also took someone from AgriLife, which is our agriculture department, because I wanted them to catch the vision of what Power from the Sun is doing, capable of doing, and wants to become. And what we would like to do, if we could, is Habitat for Humanity does some wonderful things, and we would like to copy that model and We'd like to bring in people that are professors and professionals, and it could even be uh, at Auburn that we would decide 
uh, to form a chapter there. And the engineering professors would help the students. Uh, we would find them projects. We'd let them do the designs. They can all now be done from uh, computers without ever visiting the sites. We'd help them acquire materials. We'd help them learn how to ship things. Then they would go and do the construction. And this way you could do multiple projects throughout uh, the world. One of these days, what we'd like to be able to develop is what I think is known as socially responsible capitalism. To give you an example, uh, we know that in Nicaragua, the Borlaug Institute is working with coffee growers down there. Uh, very uh, poor areas. And one of the problems they have is they sell their coffee beans green and are not able to roast them. If they can roast those coffee beans, they can increase their profit margins. And that would get them to the point of being self-sustainable for their, their business as well as their families. So, you know, we see this vision possibly of of going in as power from the sun and helping them develop roasting systems using electricity. And from there, uh, we would basically do a lease to own program on this equipment. They would pay us money as a, a lease for the equipment on a monthly basis out of their profits. And at some point in time, they would own this facility. We would then take this money uh, that we were paid back for the system and we'd begin to light their hospitals, schools, uh, other facilities around there, just totally improving the life of this community. And, and if you look at electricity, and, and I made the statement, it's difficult to improve your standard of living. Electricity is one of these things that just keeps on giving. Uh, this could be a two generational, three generational situation maybe to tie them over to the point of, of developing other industries using electricity and, and hopefully uh, expanding the offerings that they would make, possibly sewing, possibly fishing, uh, where they could refrigerate, refrigerate their fish. Uh, just so many opportunities out there if you have electricity available. Just hearing what you guys are doing, I mean, it definitely gets me excited. And I think probably other people when they hear this, they're going to be excited as well and may want to get involved. So if somebody, if somebody wants to get involved with what you guys are doing, what's, what's the best way to go about that? We have a website called uh, powerfromthesun.com. That's S-O-N, powerfromthesun.com. Uh, you can leave me a message or if you wanted to email me at steve.vincent, V-I-N-C-E-N-T, at powerfromthesun.com, would be glad to uh, uh, to visit with you about this. Awesome. That's great. And, and kind of coming in for a landing, um, I'd love to pick your brain on, it, from your experience, uh, you know, from the, the, the African hospital to all, all the other projects that you've done uh, with helping bring electricity to communities and helping communities uh, basically start anew. Um, what was, what's the toughest roadblock that you found you've run into where you're like, Oh, I don't know if this is going to work if you've had that, but also two, what's been the most rewarding, um, after effect from seeing uh, a community get something that they, they, they've been lacking in for so long. There are so many tough situations. Um, 
the first one is described in the book. Uh, of course, it just so happened we were able to unload that transformer from the container with the help of the Bangladesh, but our container didn't arrive uh, for three days. Uh, it was stuck in customs. Uh, we had done everything we knew how to do. And so one of the things we developed uh, in Liberia was a prayer before meals. And of course, there are some germs that we're not used to in Africa. So we would lather up with the antibacterial solutions. Uh, we didn't want to touch each other, but we felt like that was important. And so if you remember a poster of a cat that was hanging on a clothesline with its paws, just oh, yeah. barely surviving. <laughs> That's the way we would uh, orient our arms. We'd touch elbows like we're just hanging on. <laughs> and I remember one of our most effective prayers was, dear Lord, we've done everything we know how to do. We've taken this as far as we can. If it's your will to have this project completed, we need your help. And with that, that's when the Bangladesh showed up. That's when our containers showed up. Uh, but we constantly go through this. There was a, an instance down in Honduras where uh, I said we make all these uh, shipping containers into generator houses. There was a, a connection inside the generator that one of the screws that's supposed to hold the wire tight had rattled loose somewhere from the generator shipping to us, to us shipping it to Florida, to it going to Honduras and then on another boat. It was a really unique screw and the whole project was, was gonna be ruined because of this. So we looked everywhere, it was not there it wasn't going to work on the project. And then somebody said, I just don't think this will work, but I'm gonna try this. We went inside the orphanage and probably in the 50s, someone had put an electric panel in there. Uh, it was an old panel, it wasn't working, but we looked and there was the screw that we needed that was not being used right there in that panel. Just so many instances where we lose faith and then it's, well, here it is. It's in front of you. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's even just encouraging. Uh, I hope for everyone listening, like as we're going through and jumping through uh, the literal hoops or even the spiritual hoops that we're, we're trying to get things accomplished, like if God's in it, like he's going to find a way. And I love those types of stories. It just for this one example, that a panel from the 1950s had your answer that you were looking for. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> what, you know, uh, I'm an engineer and I, I deal in logic. Uh, I try to apply it to everything I do, but boy, some of these things that happened to us, <laughs> you can't explain it by we planned it out. It was right. not just us. Absolutely. And um, on, on the flip end, now that you've looking back on the projects that you've done, um, what are some big takeaways or what, what's been the most eye-opening or life-changing um, reaction to bringing you know, light, light to the hospitals or, you know, with all these other projects? Well, I, I did some numbers uh, for an article I've just written about uh, power from the sun over the past 10 years. And I was rather shocked by uh, some of the things that we participate in. For example, uh, we talk about football fields. We've probably 
worked on systems that would occupy over a thousand football fields. Uh, we probably donated, or let's say this, if we were to build these systems in the US, it's over a million dollars worth of electric systems. Uh, the weight of what we've shipped overseas, and I'd never shipped anything, none of us had overseas, uh, it's over 127,000 pounds of electrical equipment. But one of the most startling things to me is we tried to figure the number of people we've touched. And just in my own limited mind, you know, I, I can think of maybe 40 or 50 people that we've, we've actually uh, affected, those we've come in contact with, probably more. Uh, but if you start thinking of all these patients that were in this hospital, that maybe as they sat there and waited four or five hours in the heat for a doctor, there was a fan that, that made their life just a little bit more comfortable. There were some people that were operated on that maybe because they were at air conditioning in that operating room, maybe they saved their life. Uh, maybe there was an x-ray machine that, that helped them. We do know that down in Honduras, a place that we electrified a school uh, three years ago, Two of the students have now been accepted at a local college, um, by local meaning a Honduran university, and the missionary son is now a freshman um, at the Naval Academy at Annapolis. This year, they have seven students that are taking exams for the Honduran uh, Naval Academy and seven for the Honduran Air Force Academy these people didn't have access to the internet before we installed that electricity. We think we've probably affected somewhere around 50,000 people somewhere, but most of them we don't know, we'll never see, we'll never hear how there was an effect. I mean, just hearing the impact that, that you guys have had um, and how many lives that you've touched and in so many different areas, it's amazing to me just to think on that, that a lot of it starts with just one person being obedient to the call and the vision that God has put on their heart. What advice um, or what tips would you give to somebody out there who, who's struggling with that? Well, maybe in a situation where they're, they're working for a business and they have these skills and these talents that they've developed over time. They have these gifts that God gave them, but they're maybe struggling to, to act on that call like you did. What advice would you give them? Well, and one, uh, I guess this is self-promoting, but I would really encourage them uh, to read the book, uh, When Faith Lights the Way. Uh, I think it would help people realize that they're not alone on this island, and, and that call has happened to other people, and these other people may be just normal, everyday people, but when they follow that little voice, that call, that, that direction, uh, it'll change your life. Amen. And, and on that note for closing, um, one, I want to thank you for going through this and, and writing the book, When Faith Lights the Way, uh, for really opening our eyes to, to third world countries and, and the lack of electricity. And, and my mind thinking when you brought electricity, I was thinking light, but there's so much more that it brings that we don't even think of because we take for granted. Um, but a uh, primary focus that we've been doing with Church Relevance is helping prevent ministry burnout. Uh, so as you've been living your life 
uh, where faith is lighting the way. Um, can you speak to your experience where there's been times where you've started to feel burnout and how you found a way to get through that so you can continue uh, living a life of faith? Well, and yes, I can do that. But one example I'd like to give maybe is, is from the Bible, and it, it is mentioned in the, the book. Uh, one of my heroes has always been Moses. And if you think about Moses, uh, there's probably not anybody in the world that could have led the Israelites out of Egypt. He was, I like to think about the number two man. I like the old movie with Charleston Heston, uh, Charlton Heston, that he knew the Egyptian military. He knew how to feed people. He knew how to motivate people. He knew logistics. He knew about sheltering people. He was trained for 40 years to be, to know everything about how to run a country. And then for 40 years, he was sent into the desert to become humble, to realize that it wasn't all about him. And then he was ready to be used. And I've, I've thought about my life in that uh, I grew up uh, in Dallas in probably a lower middle class area. Uh, I didn't go to the finest schools. I'm not the smartest person in the world. Uh, but all these things that happened in my life, meeting these people, going to Haiti, working in electricity, were they really the preparation for what I was supposed to do with power from the sun? That God used me and chose to when I was ready, not or when he thought I was ready, not when I was ready. Yeah, and I know, I, I mean, looking at, I've been looking at your site from power from powerfromthesun.com, and I noticed on there that you mentioned uh, that you love the book of James as well, going back to scripture. Um, and I just want to say from, from my perspective that hearing you talk about your journey and hearing you talk about your life and what God's done through you in all these different areas and seeing you really live out uh, one of the key themes in the book of James, you know, faith in action and like the good works um, completing our faith. And so seeing that in your life has really been encouragement for me. And uh, I would say I'll speak for the people that are going to listen to this. I think it'd be an encouragement for them as well. So I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. That is very important to me. I've always believed that, uh, yes, you've got to have faith. Yes, you're saved. But if it doesn't cause a change in what you do and the way you think, are you really saved? You know, I, I think that's real important to reach out to other people, to help other people. That's what we're called to do. And just a personal belief, God didn't look at all of uh, us and say, you're supposed to feed the orphans, you're supposed to feed the, uh, the needy and the homeless, or you can give your money to the government and let them decide where it's supposed to go. He looked at everybody and said, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to be involved. Exactly, and, and thank you again for everything you did. What I love, and my, and my one big takeaway from this is, you know, we're called to be a light in the darkness, a light in this world. Uh, not only did you bring light to the darkness, but you, you brought electricity, you brought health to people, uh, and you were able to, to feed people by them. You said that uh, they were getting educations now because they had internet and able to attend school. So it's such a blessing from 
uh, getting to talk with you from an outside perspective and seeing how you use what God's given you uh, to, to really bless the world uh, through him. So th thank you so much uh, for taking the time to meet with us, for uh, just sharing your life with us and writing your book, When Faith Lights the Way. Um, we so appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I would like to mention also that When Faith Lights the Way, the quest to restore electricity to a war-ravaged African hospital is available on Amazon or at the website when faith lights the way dot com. Uh, I just think it, it would be a very encouraging situation for people that that wonder what is my purpose in life? Absolutely. And I, I think we all think that uh, maybe I think it multiple times a day, uh, but it's such a good reminder and constantly uh, realigning ourselves with what God's called us to do. Because a lot of us, I know a lot of listening don't even know fully. Um, or we think we know, and then all of a sudden something happens, and we're just like, oh, is this what we're called to do? Which you run in, ran into several times, and then God intervened and completely took care of you. Well, I am not a patient person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want things to happen when I want them to happen. I plan for it, and when it doesn't, I get, I get very uh, uh, nervous, uh, agitated is another word, but I think that's part of my growth is that sometimes these things don't happen on my terms. They happen when God tells me it's time to do it. I'm right there with you on that one, Steve. Sometimes you have to listen. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but yet it's so difficult to actually do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, again, thank you so much for meeting with us, Steve. We so appreciate it. Uh, and we're excited just to, to get your experience out there and, and get your book out there uh, for everyone listening to really continue spreading the good news and encouraging people uh, to follow Christ and uh, let faith light the way. Well, thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for the opportunity and okay. good luck to you guys. Sounds like you, you've got a great plan. And with that, what has God called you to do and what has he called you to bring to your community and your family? I pray that you take this time just to seek Ask him for his voice and continue that faith in him to do what he's called you to do. It's always refreshing to know that God's called you to do it, so you might as well do it as hard as you can. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.